We are talking through, over the last four weeks, we've been talking through this idea of strength to strength. The reality is that none of us want a relationship with Jesus that is flatlined, right? None of us want a relationship with Jesus that is stagnant and that is festering, right? We want a relationship that's vibrant, that's growing, and in fact, God wants that for each and every one of us. In Psalm 84, this is where the sermon title comes from. Psalm 84, it says that they go from strength to strength. 2 Corinthians 3, they go from glory to glory. And when Jesus calls the disciples, he says, follow me, implying that there's a journey. There are milestones along the way. In in the book of Acts, they were followers of the way. It's a journey. And so what is this progressive dynamic? How do we keep moving forward, especially for those of us who are seasoned in the faith? who've been around it for a while, things like that. Um, Today, the simple question is, how did the journey of the disciples go from strength to strength immediately after Jesus' resurrection and ascension? When you think about Jesus, his final words to the disciples um, before he departs, before he does the Superman act and leaves earth, okay? What were some of the things? What do you remember? What do you remember? What did Jesus say to the disciples? Okay, let's look. Let's go. Okay. What did you say? Make disciples. make disciples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, that is definitely something, as we're going from strength to strength, you know, we, we need to keep not just investing in our own spiritual journey, but the journey of others. And we'll be talking about that uh, probably by March. But I want us to go to a couple of verses. So go with me quickly to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse, oh, let's check. It's the very end. <laughs> Luke 24, verse 49. Luke 24, verse 49. If you found it, go ahead and say, I found it. Awesome. Luke 24, verse 49. This is Jesus' other great commission. Okay? I don't know. Did you know that there are more than one great commission? Okay. Luke 24, verse 49, he says, I'll I'll start in verse verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until what? Until, my Bible says, until you are endued with power from on high. Whoa, so great commission number one that we're... We often think of is go, go, go. But Great Commission pre one, (laughs) Great Commission zero is wait, tarry in Jerusalem. For what purpose? Until you are endued with power from on high. Flip with me to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we actually see the description of Jesus performing that Superman act, ascending from earth to heaven. But in Acts chapter one, before he does that, He says these very same things. Acts chapter 1. This is also, this book is written by Luke, so this is kind of the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So Acts picks up where Luke ends off. Acts chapter 1, if you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says this, And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from where? Jerusalem, but to do what instead? To wait. To wait for what? To wait for the promise of the 
Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Well, what promise is this? Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with who? The Holy Spirit many days from now. The first instructions that the disciples were wondering, okay, Jesus is leaving. How am I going to continue to follow Jesus if he's not right here? The first instruction is wait for the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how to keep growing in your journey with Jesus, it's not going to happen without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. That's it. That's the bottom line. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Abiding in Jesus. As we've been talking about over the last few weeks, you know, abiding in the Word, abiding in the vine. Abiding in Jesus and He in us involves something. It involves a step of waiting. Waiting for the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how did those disciples who heard these instructions, wait, 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 how did they actually receive this promise? In what way? Go with me down to verse 13. This is what we know. In verse 13, this is what they did. After they saw Jesus ascend, you see that in verses 9, 10, and 11, they're staring up into heaven. The angels say, hey guys, why are you looking at the clouds? This Jesus is going to come. Don't you worry. He's going to come. And then in verse 13, the Bible says, And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Verse 14. These all continued with what? One accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what do we know? Jesus gives a promise, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. How do disciples receive the promise of the Spirit? They went back to Jerusalem. And what did they do? What were the things that you see? What are the details? What are the details? In verse 13 and 14, what did they do? They were in one accord and in prayer, right? That's in verse, what verse is that? Verse 14. So here's the thing. In my Bible, that verse is highlighted. And as we were talking about last week, I don't know if you guys were here last week, but if you weren't, check it out online. Um, Really practical stuff and how to dig into the Bible. As I was looking at these verses, I was looking for a loaded detail. And the loaded detail is verse 14. Oh, they they continued in one accord in prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer. So hang on to that. But I wonder if there's a loaded detail that sometimes we miss. The one accord... The one accord, that being together, yeah, 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 that, that's definitely a detail. Um, that, that's a loaded detail, I should say. But the one loaded detail that jumped out to me this week is in verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. I don't know, maybe that, that's like, that just kind of lands like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's a simple detail, but is it a loaded detail? Is there something significant? My question this morning is, is there something significant about staying in the upper room that paves the way for prayer and receiving the promise of the Spirit? Let's think about this a little bit. What was that upper room? Had they been to that upper room before? It's the same one where they had communion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's it. It's the upper room in Jerusalem where they had communion. Three days later, after Jesus is crucified, well, I guess not three days later, it's uh, maybe 36 hours, 48 hours later, they are back in that upper room. They're like hiding. They're shaking, right? A couple days later, 
Jesus does this uh, kind of sneaky, sneaky appears right, right in their faces and says, hey, I'm here, right? He finds them trembling. So this is an upper room where they've had some significant experiences, right? They've had some significant experiences. This is the very upper room where Jesus broke the bread, where Jesus washed their feet, where they experienced something of the power of the gospel for the very first time, even though they didn't fully perceive it. This is the same upper room where Jesus kind of gave them this foreshadowing of what he was truly laying down on the line for them. To disciples, this is the upper room where they powerfully and personally experienced the gospel. And then 40 days later, as they're waiting in this upper room, they've had a ton of experience with this upper room. They, they know this place. They've, had, they've experienced the full spectrum of emotions from pride and arrogance where they totally don't even want to talk to each other, right? Before the foot washing and things like that, the, their, their tensions are running so high that Jesus has to break that by becoming a servant and wash their feet. They've experienced pride and arrogance, but they've also gotten to the point of fear and self-rebuke. Like, oh man, we totally abandoned Jesus. You know? In this upper room, they've experienced uncertainty and unbelief. And now by the time we find them in Acts, they, they have crystal clear clarity. Oh man, this is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is coming again. He's given us a promise. I mean, they've, they've experienced a full range of spiritual emotion and of just, yeah, physical emotion. It's where their friend and savior and now the victor over death and the grave has just weeks before been revealed and he has shown the power of the gospel in concrete symbols like we're going to see today. <clears throat> and I can only imagine the kinds of conversations that took place in the upper room. What do you think Peter said to the other guys. What kinds of conversations do you think Peter had after he totally, you know, the rooster crowed twice and he fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus just told them? How do you think that happened? You think Peter just kind of like played it off like nothing happened? Like, hey guys, what's up? Yeah, let's go fishing, you know? There were probably some serious, like, tears. I'm so, I was a goof. I don't know what I was thinking. And then everybody else says, yeah, yeah, we actually ran, every one of us ran too, so don't worry about it. I mean, there were some serious conversations. There was something in the book of, um, there's an awesome book called Acts of the Apostles. Really powerful quote here. I wanted to share this with you. Kind of long, but um, just kind of gives us a glimpse into what was going on in the upper room. It says this, as the disciples waited for the fulfillment of the promise, they humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief as they called to remembrance the words that Christ had spoken to them before his death, they understood more fully their meaning. I, I mean, you just look at this and like, man, their hearts are low. They realize that they're not all that, but that Jesus is. They're rehearsing things that, they, that Jesus had taught them. They're learning it again and again. They're seeing new significance to things that they're calling to remembrance. They understood more fully their meaning. You see that? The next paragraph, it says this, like a procession. Scene after scene of his wonderful life passed before them. I don't think it was written back then, but maybe they had a hymn like, tell me the story of Jesus, right? 
Oh, if they could but have the past three years to live over, they thought how differently they would act. So there's a sense of remorse, like, man, we would do things differently. I wish I weren't like that. Man, if we're going to try this again, if we're ever going to make disciples, we want to lead them in a different kind of journey. Putting away all differences, all desire for the supremacy, they came close together in Christian fellowship. There's that one accord experience. That happened in the upper room. That happened in the upper room. They put away all differences, all desire for the supremacy. And then this. These days of preparation were days of what? Deep heart searching. Have you ever experienced days like that? Days of deep heart searching. The point is this. That as they were there in the upper room, they had those instructions. Wait. Wait to be filled, endued, clothed with power from on high. They wanted to receive everything from Christ. But as they were waiting in their upper room, it was a day of deep, they were days of deep heart searching. So before they could receive all from Christ, they had to give all to Christ. You follow it? The upper room where the gospel was proclaimed, where their hearts were broken, where they were humbled, where they confessed, where they put away all differences. This was a time, this was a room, this was an experience where they gave all to Christ and as a result, they received all from Christ. In other words, before Pentecost came a Calvary of their own. Does that make sense? Or am I just shooting in the dark here? The upper room, they stayed there. That was significant. Before they experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they stayed in the upper room. Is it possible that in order to have a strength-to-strength journey with Jesus, that you and I need to learn to stay in the upper room? Before we can ever be endued with power from on high so we could fill the calling, fulfill the calling that Jesus has for our lives, before we can ever experience receiving all from Christ, we also need to experience giving all to Christ in the upper room. To be emptied of self so we can be filled with the Spirit. There's an upper room experience that I think Jesus wants to abide, Jesus wants us to abide in. I believe that when we stay in the upper room, when we dwell on the life of Christ, like these disciples did, procession after, like a procession, scene after scene, just kind of passed before their minds. As we stay in the upper room, fixing our thoughts on what the cross is all about, seeing and experiencing and receiving the emblems of the gospel, not just once a quarter, but day by day, receiving the gift of salvation. I believe that when we fix our eyes on the cross and the power of the gospel to redeem and restore, we'll experience what they were experiencing, the humbling of heart, the confession of sin, the putting away of differences, and ultimately the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When we're emptied of self, friends, then we can be filled with the Spirit. If you ever wonder why, man, I, I wish... I don't know, I've been reading through the book of Acts over the last uh, 14 days. And I just, wow, to have that experience, why don't we experience that today, you know? And if we ever ask, why am I not filled with the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself, what am I filled with? And is it giving room to the Holy Spirit? If not, if we're wanting to receive all, then let us experience the conviction of the Spirit to give all to him. I want to encourage us simply to abide in the upper room. (laughs) 
If you want to keep growing strength to strength, abide in the upper room. So how can we cultivate this habit of staying in the upper room? I'm going to suggest just very one specific habit to add to your arsenal of discipleship. So something that I, I heard uh, not too long ago. Oh, man. Maybe it was long ago. <laughs> Seven, eight years ago. Uh, does that feel like long ago? To some of us, it does. To some of us, it's like more than half our lives. Anyways, one simple habit of staying in the upper room. I heard it from a preacher that I, I deeply respect. He, at the time, he was nearing 30 years in his pastorate. This is at Andrews University. You may know his name, Dwight K. Nelson. He's been there for now 30-plus years. And just his ministry is just, I, I believe, is spirit-filled. And so when, when he was sharing with us his personal habits of, of dwelling with God and abiding with God, going from strength to strength, one of the things he said is that when he has his, his devotional time in the morning, aside from his reading plan and things like that, one thing he, he does habitually is he reads through Matthew chapter 27, verses 24 to 54, every single day. You know what that is? It's the story of the cross. And I thought, man, that, 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 that's simple. But doesn't that get dry and ritualistic? <laughs> no, but I, I experienced, I, try, I tried it out. And I tell you what, it changed my life. It changed my life. I found, I found that as I paid attention to Jesus and as, as, as I daily saw his mercy again and again, I became a recipient of grace. And because of that, I became a, a better giver of grace. I found this experience in Romans chapter 12 to be very, very true. Okay, so we're talking about strength to strength, habits, abiding in the word. We talked about the last two weeks, but really we're talking now about abiding in the upper room. And this is what happens when we look on God's mercy. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to do what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. This is what happens when we view God's mercy becomes our natural response to give all to Jesus. When we look at the cross day by day and we see that Jesus gave all to me, Jesus gave all to you, what, what is the only appropriate response but to give all to him? Friends, we can't just like flex our spiritual muscles every single morning and say, you know what, I'm going to live all, to, all for Jesus. I'm going to do it. I'm going to initiate it I'm, by my willpower. No, it happens as a response. If you're feeling like, man, I don't love Jesus with all of my heart, and then your next reaction is, okay, I'm just going to love him more. <laughs> I'm going to beat my chest and love him more. No, 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 that's not how it happens. How you grow your love is by looking on his love. In view of God's mercy. In view, does that make sense? It's a cause and effect relationship. You want the effect of loving God. You want the effect of surrendering all. How do I do that? Receive all from Jesus. <laughs> yeah? Look at, look at his mercy. Look at his mercy. I'll admit, like, this can become habitual. It can become ritualistic. But, um, but there's something powerful when we look on the cross. Uh, last, last passage we'll go to. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And this is... <coughs> And so I've kind of tweaked, personally, I've kind of tweaked uh, Dwight Nelson's habit of looking at Matthew 27. Um, I will, what I'll do is I'll kind of rotate through Matthew 27, you know, story of the cross, and then Mark 15, story of the cross, Luke 20, 23, story of the cross, and then uh, John 19, story of the cross. And so right now, in my personal time, I'm looking at Mark, Mark 15. And when you see 
the cross. It changes you. Go with me. If you're there, Mark 15. Mark 15, all the way down to verse 39. Mark 15, verse 39. If you're there, say amen. Okay, watch this. Watch this. Okay, this is cool. So when the centurion who stood opposite him, speaking of Jesus, okay, centurion, Roman guy, broad chest, or sorry, broad shoulders, big chest, right? Roman centurion who stood opposite Jesus saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was what? The son of God. Out of whose mouth did this come? A Gentile, a Roman centurion. And it says that when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this, I think there's another version, maybe the NIV, it says, when he saw how he died, he confessed, truly, this was the Son of God. Think about this. This hardened Roman centurion who has been part of many, many crucifixions, he sees someone that he probably uh, engaged in spitting on. Maybe he had a part in picking the thorns that were wrapped around his head. Maybe he handed his other soldiers the, the, the rods that they used to beat him with. As this Roman centurion is leading the procession, he hears the insults. Oh, if you're the son of God, let him, let him uh, take you down from the cross if he delights in you. Things like this. This Roman centurion has seen it all. He's probably heard the whispers uh, back and forth between the thieves and Jesus. And then there's this one thief that says, Lord, actually calls him Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Actually acknowledges him as a king. The centurion is seeing it all. And Jesus whispers, Man, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And in this man's heart, this hardened heart, becomes softened as he realizes that there is a king who loves me so much that he will love me more than his very own existence. Hmm. And as he sees him breathe his last, as he sees Jesus pray prayers for the people that are crucifying him, the Roman centurion says, truly, this is the Son of God. Friends, when we behold Jesus on the cross, we can't help but be led to this kind of confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And here's what's awesome. In 1 John, John was someone who beheld Jesus at the foot of the cross all the way to the very end. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, what is the result? God abides in him, and he in God. Talk about that abiding relationship that takes you from strength to strength. It happens as we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. How do I confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Look at Jesus on the cross. If I want to receive all from Christ, if I want to be endued with power from on high, if I want God to abide in me, let us stay in the upper room. Do we follow this today? Simple appeal. Abide in the upper room. As we... As we celebrate communion today, I want to give you permission to let this be a response of your heart, a demonstration of two simple commitments, two simple commitments <clears throat> that you would receive all from Christ.
That is, you take part of the bread and juice. So you're taking it in for yourself, not letting someone else take it in for you. Let it be a demonstration, a confession to heaven saying, God, I want to receive all from you. But at the same time, let it be a confession that I want to give all to you. How many of you today, as we kind of break into pairs or families or whatever to do our foot washing and communion, how many of you today want to say, you know what? I want to receive all from Christ. I want to give all to Christ. How many of you, just by raising of your hands, say, yeah, that's, that's me today. Amen. 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 Friends, today what we're going to do is we're going to do something that maybe some of us have never done before. And if that's you, find someone that has done it before. <laughs> Partner up. Walk each other through. This is not about uh, feeling awkward. Um, only awkward to the sense of, hey, I'm humbling self. Laying self to the dust. What we're going to do today is we're going to find a partner. We're going to have a section de- back here. Um, if, if you want to, f- guys, if you want to find another guy to partner up with, this is where we'll go. Um, we'll, and then ladies, if you want to find another lady to partner up with, you'll go back here behind this fireplace. And if you're a couple or a family that want to celebrate this together, you'll stay right here or you'll, you'll find chairs to kind of do that here together. So this is what we're going to do. We've got a water station over here. Uh, Justin and Ruben will be helping us um, fill up those water basins. So take a water basin, take a couple of towels, and um, I'm just kind of mentally walking you through this before we pray and break up and stuff. Um, as you do this, you know, feel free to let this be a time of worship. You know, get, get, over, get over the awkwardness. And let self be laid to the dust. Again, this is about receiving all from Christ so you can give all to Christ. Um, If you've got young kids, let this be a teaching opportunity. I'll I'll leave it up to you as parents to decide whether you want them to participate uh, fully or not. But yeah, let this be a teaching opportunity to teach them the the simplicity and power of the gospel. Uh, Afterwards, after everybody's had a chance to do this together, we're going to kind of reassemble the chairs and we'll have the bread and juice. Um, We'll do the Lord's Supper together. All right, so let's pray together and commit, commit ourselves to Jesus. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the opportunity to just hear this invitation to abide in the upper room. Today, God, as we kind of reenact the upper room, Lord, I pray that this would spur us on to reenact that upper room experience day by day on our own, to look on the cross, to behold Jesus, to experience and receive the power of the gospel. Lord, I pray for hearts here today that are broken and struggling. And I ask God for, one, your forgiving grace, but also for your transforming grace. Lord, I pray for hearts here that are confused or just kind of searching for answers, searching for Uh, wisdom about decisions to be made. Lord, I pray that they would give all of these things to you so that they can receive all of your wisdom and direction. And Lord, I also pray for hearts that are just weighed down with the burden of sin. Hearts that are even wondering, have I given all to Jesus? Have I really? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would even give us the capacity to give all to you. We don't know how to surrender ourselves to you, Lord. So our simple prayer is take from us our hearts. Take from us our lives. So as we receive you today, lead us to give all to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.